I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Neil Lawton, Special Forces veteran, international speaker, award-winning entrepreneur and record-breaking adventurer. Neil has climbed Mount Everest a few times, jet skied the circumference of UK and Ireland, piloted the first flying car from London to Timbuktu and holds multiple world records. It's safe to say that Neil lives a life less ordinary. Neil, thank you so much for being guest on my show and welcome to my little home in Richmond. Uh, great to be here, Sonia. Thank you for inviting me. And I uh, must admit, I can't think of anything nicer at the moment than being interviewed uh, by you in the flesh as opposed <laughs> to uh, online. Well, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Thank you, Neil. <laughs> Neil, I don't actually... I didn't, when I was doing my research on you, I didn't know where to start. You've done so many things. But before we talk about your adventures, because it wouldn't be an interview with Neil Lawton without talking about your adventures, I'd like to take you back to your military days. What, when, when did all that start? What got you into the military in the first place? Well, it was actually uh, when I was 12 that the, um, the opportunity and inspiration came for a career potentially in the military. And it was, uh, it was really fun because my dad was a commander of a ship uh, called HMS Bulwark. It was an aircraft carrier and it was wow. on exercise in the Solent. And my school was in Sussex and he sent a helicopter and got permission from the headmaster to allow me plus two of my best mates to be picked up uh, by this helicopter in the grounds of the school. And we disappeared off, landed on the moving aircraft carrier in the Solent and then spent three days with the, with the Royal Navy. Now, it wasn't the Navy that inspired me, but actually the Royal Marine commandos that were doing exercises in and out of the helicopters, um, going off on their missions ashore with blackened faces and their rifles strapped on their backs. And then when they came back three hours later, um, the aircraft were hovering over the deck and all these guys were fast roping down onto the back onto the ship. And I thought there and then, age 12, that I wanted to be a Royal Marine Commando. It was, it was a defining, inspirational moment that uh, I realised that, you know, I was always going to be, I think, quite uh, adventurous per se. But uh, it was there and then that I decided that, you know, looking at these heroes in my eyes, uh, doing this incredible stuff, that I wanted to be a Royal Marine Commando. And, um, you know, I, I had first had to pass my exams and then um, the you know, officer selection course, uh, and then somehow or another, but both of those uh, came to fruition, and I was selected uh, 20 out of 5,000 applications to be a young Royal Marine officer, and that's wow. where it started. And then you got into the SAS as well. Well, uh, it's a, a bit of a long story, but uh, I was trying to get a career in the Marines. Uh, very sadly, my, my dad lost his battle with cancer uh, when I was in my second, first, second year in the Marines. Uh, or she took some compassionate leave. Yeah. Um, but it was, I don't know, losing your dad at 19, you're kind of your, your mentor and hero and, and father, uh, was, was a big setback and a, and a big shock. And uh, I suppose if I'm honest, looking back, it, it set me back and I lost some confidence, mm. um, had to take some time out. And um, my head really wasn't in the right space. And I had that awful uh, moment when your commanding officer invites you into his um, military office, shuts the door and asks you to sit down and doesn't offer you a coffee, you know that you're, uh, you're in trouble. And um, I was uh, you know, dispatched 
um, prem prematurely from, from my aspirational career in the Marines. Wow, so they had no compassion over the fact that you just lost your father. They had, but they, you know, it was just after the Falklands, um, you know, places were, were, were you know, valuable and, and they couldn't waste it on somebody who was going to be needing six months off to re recover emotionally. And these were the old days, um, you know, and, and actually I'm sure we'll cover it, you know, when you get, a, a, you know, a failure or, or a mm. disappointment or an obstacle in the road, um, you know, there's two ways you can go. You can either... Uh, you know, sink or you can swim. swim. And uh, I always, um, being a positive sort of bloke, uh, always go for the for the latter. Um, and I, uh, you know, it, it was a turning point in many ways because I was going to be a career soldier, and actually I ended up um, starting my business career and uh, applying for selection to uh, yes, the, the SAS, but the reserve uh, forces element of it. There's two. Uh, there's mm. one. Uh, parent and regular regiment and there's two uh, reserve territorial regiments and I did selection uh, and spent 12 years serving in uh, one of those yeah uh, so alongside my my business career so it was best of both worlds and like I say you know one major problem and uh, disappointment and uh, you know uh, failure led to a pivotal, pivotal moment in my life Absolutely, wow. And how do, do, do you draw a parallel on what you took from the military into your business career? Because you, you were very successful in the business career, I believe you had a, a large construction I, company. I think there, there, there's an awful lot of luck that goes with um, business success. So I had a good partner, Andrew Russell. Um, he knew what he was doing in terms of construction, but I was always quite confident with in front of clients and um, we made a great team. And yes, we, uh, we built a company from scratch to 40 million turnover in the space of, you know, uh, generation, 15, 17 years, something like that. And um, yeah, I was pretty successful uh, employing lots of people and making some good, good money and all that. Um, um, but to answer your question, yes, the, the military experiences gave me all sorts of things from, from everyday confidence to um, being able to organize my life, um, discipline, you know, being, um, being, you know, uh, willing to take risks, which I think is quite important. And lots of, uh, lots of other things that, you know, just subliminally you, you, you learn, you, you build up as part of the military agenda. Do you think your um, passion for adventure came from those days or do you think it was inherent in you before your military yeah, no, I think I was always going to be quite adventurous. My first um, expedition was uh, about a year after that helicopter on a, on a ship uh, with the Royal Marines. Um, I persuaded my best best friend at home to come on a three-day canoeing expedition. So you, were, you were like 13, 14? 13 years old, yeah. Oh, wow. um, and we still don't know whether my dad was with binoculars in the bushes <laughs> keeping an eye on me, but we, we camped for two nights, we paddled out during the day and... You know, we cooked our, our food on a, uh, you know, Billy stove in the evenings and it was a great first uh, adventure age 13. And so I think uh, it was kind of in my, in my, my makeup, genes or whatever, uh, to, to be quite adventurous, uh, even before the military. And then, of course, in the military, you're, uh, you know, parachuting out of aircraft, aircraft and uh, abseiling out of helicopters and scaling cliffs. Uh, it enhances your uh, enjoyment and confidence and abilities. Uh, in the adventuring world. But you, I mean, you say it um, in such a way, sort of almost blasé. I mean, 
it absolutely would terrify me to actually I quite like jumping out of a plane but to go uh, abseiling down a cliff that would probably scare the shit out of me I mean, was then at no point that you felt fear for no on the contrary you fear fear all the time I mean you know, in the, in, in the Special Forces, we would uh, be jumping at one o'clock in the morning, pitch black, at uh, 700 feet above the ground in dodgy places, uh, strapped with, you know, 100 pounds of kit, rifle and all the rest of it. Um, and you're pitching into the dark, have no clue, you know, where or on what you're going to land heavily at 16 feet a second. No, you are terrified. But... What you do is with these experiences and with the training, you get good at coping with uncertainty, with the stress, the pressure and the danger. And what, how do you, how are you taught that? I mean, what, it must be a, a mindset um, that goes with that. Because uh, I, I, I'm sure the majority of the population couldn't do that, which is why we're not all, not all in the SAS, because I bet there's a lot of people that watch well, fun, funny enough, films. Funnily enough, I think it can be taught and it, it can be experienced. And, and I'm a, you know, my, my job now is, is experiential training, is helping people through a process of learning um, in order to get some skills, but uh, practice by doing. And... Um, I think for me personally, I was never brilliant at passing exams by learning pages in a book. Yeah, pretty hopeless. Three times to get maths O-level, for example. But, you know, ask me to fly a helicopter and pass the exams of a helicopter. I can do I did that first time round. So there's something in experiential training yeah. that I think yeah. is really val valuable. I think mindset is, is really important, but it's also uh, the tools. It's the, um, the, the behaviours of, say you know, special forces mentality, how that could be, and I'm looking at it right now as to how you can distill the mindset, the values, the characteristics, the tools, the behaviours of Royal Marines and special forces personnel in a short space of time and translate that and, and gift that to business people and teams. How can you? I mean, are there some... I'm working on it now. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> when we've created a programme, but, um, but that's something I'm working on right now. I mean, certainly um, in terms of the interviews I've had with um, veterans and other, other special forces veterans, um, there seems to be um, a strong resilience, I would say, uh, running through and also... Um, a calmness and determination, a very, a very steady. Uh, I can't describe it. It's like a power. <laughs> Maybe that's how I'd, I'd, I'd describe it. As though nothing can affect you. I think um, going through a, a military training process is is very cathartic in terms of uh, personally developing the individual. And you know, whilst you're doing that, you're sharing that experience with other like-minded um, souls. And you create that bond, and it's it's what's called, you know, extreme teamwork. Um, and yes, you're pushed to sometimes your limits, and pushed beyond your comfort zone. And therein lies, the, I think, the difference between, like, doing an MBA and and doing raw marine training is that you know you're probably not pushed that much, certainly not physically, but in the military you are pushed beyond which, at the point in time you think you can go. And, you know, I've seen, especially on my six expeditions to Everest, for example, that people can go way beyond where they think they can. And that's because we humans are incredible species. Let's talk about that, your trips to Everest and, and 
it was it's not just once you've been to Everest. As you say, it was what six times. Yeah, no, I've organised and led six expeditions to Everest, um, some climbing ones and uh, taking a guy in a wheelchair and um, with Bear Grylls, we went to get the, the highest um, motorised parachute uh, flight. Did, did um, you also strip naked or was that something I read? That was no, no, it? that's Bear, Bear. He likes to strip naked all, all the time. Uh, so, yeah, I've got a censored photograph of him um, at 21,000 feet um, below the summit, obviously, but... Um, with ice axe aloft and not much else. So what keeps luring you back to the mountain? Well, I, I find peace in the mountains. So that's my version of um, mindfulness, being, being at, at one, at peace with myself and uh, people I'm with. And I, I'm not sure if you've been to the Himalayas, but, um, I haven't but all the highest mountains in the range are utterly stunning and beautiful. Um, the benefit of uh, the Himalayas and Nepal in particular you have uh, wonderful Sherpa communities, uh, and they're just a beautiful, beautiful race. Um, they're there to help you with your challenge, whatever that might be. And a couple of years ago, I took a team to um, set the world record for the highest black tie dinner party. Yes, I saw that. And yeah, we just couldn't have done it without the help of our Sherpa team, and they were amazing and uh, you know fabulous, uh, fabulous experiences. So you get the beauty and serenity of the mountains, and you know, you're sharing time and space with uh, wonderful people. You must have had some near-death experiences up there. Oh, plenty. Is there any that you can <laughs> sort of really recall and uh, talk me through? Well, uh, the, the, I suppose the worst one was uh, in 96 when I went to try and first climb the mountain and um, just terrible timing. Uh, I was trying to summit the mountain when the worst storm in a hundred years hit, hit the um, hit the region and it was uh, a number of books and films yeah. have been uh, shown about this particular 24, 48 hour period. Suffice to say, eight people lost their lives very sadly in, in, in that time and I was there amongst them. Trying you were, to, so you were in the same part of the expedition? I was in the tent next to John Krakauer who wrote uh, the book Into Thin Air, for example. So yeah, and I was there. I witnessed it. It was a very uh, awful experience, and um, you know, obviously we didn't uh, succeed on, on that occasion. And um, uh, spent two days and nights trying to survive in that storm. What goes through your mind when you're pretty much in the face of death? What was, is there anything that? Well, I think um, yeah, the, the the trick is I think is not to panic. Uh, is to, to continue to make good decisions and just focus on what you need to do to help and improve your situation and that of others. And that's what I did. Um, helped, uh, got, got busy and helped uh, with the rescue effort. And um, that's as much as you can do. And, you know, if you're religious, I suppose you do a quick side prayer to uh, the Almighty to uh, keep an eye on you. And do you ever reflect, did you ever reflect on those times on your own mortality or think about what the Excuse me, what the F am I doing here? <laughs> well, I think afterwards you do. At the time, you, you know, you, in order to survive, you just got to keep busy and, uh, like I say, you know, keep making good decisions and, uh, and uh, hopefully get away, get away with it. And I've got away with it quite a few times. Yeah. Including um, when you had Derry on the show. Yes. And well, he was on my trip in 2015 when we were uh, caught in, in the 7.8 magnitude earthquake. And you were uh, at the North Pole. 21,000 feet. Oh my gosh, okay, so what's your top one near death? <laughs> I've got it here, I've got to read. Cause <laughs> um, well, there have been a few, but I suppose one of them would be, um, uh, we were uh, practicing for the uh, mo parachute motorized descent uh, uh, in Everest, 
uh, back in 2007, I did a, a paramotor flight, it's a, a parachute with an engine on your back propeller. And um, we were in the Alps in France and I took off, uh, I was about a hundred foot up. And uh, unfortunately some, some rotor, some bad wind came over some trees or in a house and I was, uh, I could sense that there was something not quite right with my, my equipment and parachute and the damn thing collapsed. And I plummeted like a stone about a hundred feet down um, and would have been killed outright had I hit the ground, but just as luck would have it, I was on a, over the top of a French farmhouse and um, sloping uh, slate roof. Oh my Savory, and, and I bounced off the roof down onto the ground. So it was like a, a double double whammy, but in so doing, I fell kind of 75 feet onto the, onto the house and then into the garden. Um, much to the surprise and shock of the French farm family that were having their breakfast, I bet they nearly choked to death. They, they were a bit surprised. I mean, you, you must have been described as, as James Bond before. Uh, uh, I doubt as, it. Never? I mean, it just brings to mind, I can see it, either that or the, the guy that delivered the milk tray chocolates that went through all of his different things to do. I mean, does death frighten you? Uh, no, not really. I mean, luckily I've had um, 50 plus years on the planet really fulfilling all, all the aspirational dreams and things that I want to do and, um, you know, there's still more to do. But if I, you've got to live your, your life um, to the full and, I, and I'm a great advocate of, of leading an adventurous life, clearly, um, but because I think it, it, it's, it's great for the soul and, and, and body, mind, body and soul. But um, but, but I do think that, um, you know, it's good to lead an adventurous life. If I were to get a horrible disease tomorrow, God forbid, or, you know, stroke or, uh, you know, permanently got run over by a bus and never to be seen again, I can honestly say I'd have no regrets. I mean, on that note, in the, in the, the times that we're living now, there are a lot of people that are actually living sort of, you know, through fear, sort of in, locked up in their homes, mm. certainly a long way from an adventurous life. Uh, does the pandemic scare you in that respect? In itself, not really. But of course, one has a duty to uh, not only to my family uh, and, and friends, but also uh, people I meet in the, in the street. And you've got to take precautions for the obvious reasons of public health. So um, look, I'm, you know, I'm I'm doing everything I can. I came in here uh, with, with my mask on, uh, having washed my hands. You do what you can to for, for, the, for the good of um, yourself, your close friends and associates, and, and obviously the wider public. Uh, but am I scared of catching the virus? Not, not really. It will be what, what, it, what it bees. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, I have to say, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not scared of it, and, and I, I am obviously scared of, of people I love catching it etc but for my own safety I'm not fearful of, of myself getting ill or catching it because I just feel that you know I'm, I'm healthy and we'll get through it um, but I do what I am more fearful of is how it's affecting um, people's mental health and I, I just believe that we're not people to live on our own and lock the doors and stay in shut away in our homes that frightens me more than anything else than getting you know ill I'd yeah. rather be able to live my life and go outside and speak to people and uh, and carry on that yeah and I would encourage people to 
get outside and exercise. You can, yes. you can really do that without catching this virus if you take precautions. So people shouldn't, uh, you know, unless you're in a government lockdown, you should not uh, hide in your house thinking that you're, you're you know, protected from, from the virus. You know, be safe, but get out and get exercise and, and clear your, your mind and, and, and think about a more positive future. Um, so I always encourage people to, um, you know, to, you know, be active and, uh, and, and there's always hope. You know, there's, there's absolutely always hope for a better future. Would you consider yourself quite an optimistic person, Neil? 100%. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Considering the amount of risks that you've taken in your life, I guess you have to have an optimistic eye, or you wouldn't... Yeah, have... no, I think, I think that's right. You know, you're either um, a glass half full or a glass half empty. I've always been glass half full or brimming. And, um, but, but that's the way I get through life. That's the way I enjoy life. That's the way... Um, sometimes I succeed in, in, the, in the crazy missions that, that, that I you know, put on the table. So, so how do you come up with these crazy missions? Because some of them are pretty crazy, or there was a word that I was reading that you use, uh, uh, sublime. Um, and let's talk about that. So, so we, you know, Everest, that's, it, I wouldn't say that's normal, but you know, you consider, you know, climbing Mount Everest is something that a lot of people may deem as wanting to do. Flying in what was it the first flying car from London to Timbuktu, or sailing in a bathtub from the Solent, <laughs> strikes me as slightly crazy. I thought you were going to talk about my uh, golf at the North Pole. Well, the golf at the North at the Pole. South Pole. Uh, but no, the the bathtub was um, actually not many people know this. this is an exclusive. It started off as a as a yeah, with a friend of mine, John Bezik. Um, we had played cricket at the, at the South Pole. Uh, we were always thinking up um, interesting ideas. And John's an architect, and he thought it wouldn't it be great. And it was his idea. I have to admit it uh, to attempt to cross the Solent in a bath made of ice. Oh, so, so the he, bath was actually made of ice. Correct. Yeah. So uh, so we attempted to paddle across the Solent in a bath made of ice. Unfortunately, it failed miserably. <laughs> uh, it hadn't been in the freezer long enough and disintegrated not far offshore. But being a good military uh, person, I had a plan B. And the plan B was a standard bath uh, rigged with uh, some ship's fenders. And uh, to save blushes, uh, whilst the, you know, the uh, ITN and uh, TV crews were shooting footage of us swimming around with, with ice around us in the sea, um, we jumped into the Plan B, the standard bath, and I, you know, and, and paddled across to um, the Isle of Wight. Is Four and a half hours. Just as well you had a Plan B. What, what's your view on Plan B? Um, I'd say, like, let's take a business as an example, because there are those that say, forget Plan B, you should be just aiming at one plan, burn your bridges, as the old Napoleon Hill book was all about, you know, mm. you burn the bridges. Yeah. So there's no one, there's no way you can go back. You just go forward. Plan B. Well, I think there's, there's merit in both uh, options. And I think probably combination of the two is a sensible compromise. Uh, yes, for sure. You've got to be highly focused and determined um, and apply your best effort at plan A, mm. but I don't think there's any harm in having a plan B. 
Especially if you want to get across the solar in a bath made of ice, for sure. So how how do you come up with these adventures? I mean, okay, that was your friend that that had come up with the bathtub idea. But the majority, is it something that you just sort of dream about, wake up and... Um, It comes with a spark of an idea and then you develop that idea and then you put an executive plan together for the idea and then you find somebody who's going to pay for it. Uh, and then you go and do it. And it's as simple as that. So for example, you you mentioned the flying car. This was a project that was actually the dream of a great friend of mine, Giles Cardozo. He always wanted to uh, invent, fly the world's first road legal flying car. Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Exactly. Obviously, I love that movie. So um, being a pilot and uh, being an adventurer, I immediately um, got, got involved. Um, I knew him as a friend. We were on an expedition, actually one of the expeditions on, on Everest in 2007. And uh, he said to me, across the uh, cup of tea in the tent, I think I can now design and build the world's first road legal flying car. And I took a sip of tea and asked Gilo how much to make the prototype. And he gave me an exorbitant figure of £150,000. I didn't have that in the bank, clearly. Mm. Um, but I found myself reaching across, shaking by the hand and saying, I'm your first customer. And so how did you raise the money? I uh, put an executive pitch document together off the back of um, the, what was going to be the, the world's first uh, flying car uh, test run voyage um, you know, journey. And um, I chose London to Timbuktu in the Sahara, middle of the Sahara Desert. Uh, as that maiden flight and voyage. Put a team together, found uh, some sponsors and partners, commercial partners, and we made it happen. And um, it was a 10,000 kilometre journey in the world's first road legal flying car. And actually, so it was literally, it was flying. Yeah. Did it come down other than at the end? It nearly crashed a few times with, with me in it. Um, there was one famous occasion where we were trying to get across the Straits of Gibraltar from southern Spain to North Africa uh, on, on midway through this journey. And um, I had two uh, previous attempts to, to get across and both had failed for various technical reasons. And um, I jumped into the, into the pilot seat of the flying car. And um, again, another one of my near-death uh, scenarios I took off, I was about 80 foot up above the waves heading towards North Africa. And there was a major technical problem with the, with the canopy. And it was about to stall, much like the horrific incident of a parachute when, I, when it collapsed and I fell 100 feet. The same thing was about to happen, but with 750 kilos of metal strapped to me. And it was a, a pretty harrowing moment. I, uh, it was a, there was a camera team in a helicopter, you know, filming everything and, and what they saw and the subsequent documentary on Channel 4 saw people uh, saw the fear in my eyes, literally as I realised that I was about to die. Um, I, got, I made the decision to get out of the, the, the car, the aircraft, and jump 80 foot down into the sea. And obviously that would have been probably the end of me and the end of the expedition. Um, but a kind of a miracle happened, a, a, a aeronautical miracle happened. The, the car naturally turned on its own. 180 degrees and headed back towards the, uh, the, the beach and um, kind of stabilised. And then I then made a subsequent decision to get back into the controls and, and make an emergency landing and got away with it. And then the third attempt, 
Um, it was successful, we fixed all the problems and then um, uh, ended up landing illegally at a heliport in North Africa. Um, much to my joy, relief uh, and enthusiasm, was jumping around and got promptly arrested by the Spanish um, North African police. I, I don't know where to start on that one. I, I, I feel like, do you think you you know, you have, you, people say that cats have nine lives. Do, do you believe in fate or God or religion? Um, yes and no. I, uh, you know, there's a higher being out there somewhere. What it is, how you define it, um, I haven't got the answers. Um, but what I do believe in is, is the ability of humans uh, to make good decisions, to um, you know, survive and, and to have you know, that kind of resilience to get through difficult moments. Do you think, is there something um, in you that you're searching for, Neil? Uh, no, I, I'm, I know where you're heading with this delicate question. No, I, I think um, it, it's not too difficult. I'm, I'm searching for a life that is less boring um, and that I have no regrets when I'm, if I reach 80, um, oh, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd started this business. I wish I'd climbed Everest. No, I don't want to be in that situation. So I'm making plans and uh, executing on those plans to ensure that that isn't a scenario that I'm faced when I'm, and if I reach 80. Are you happy just being, and, and, and I ask this question because I find it very difficult just being and I'm, I'm one of life's doers and people say you know I do do I do do, do. I go 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 mm. uh, and I find it quite difficult to relax yeah um, and, and I've had people spiritual people and I'm trying to practice more meditation spirituality who said you, you just need to be and be happy with that mm. what, what are your thoughts around that yeah um, I think that's important um, re recuperate the mind and, and body um, but I do it in, in interesting strange ways so like for me you know spending an hour on a paddleboard you know it gives you the ability to 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 be at one and, and, and be at peace I, when I when I'm out on my mountain bike on my own not when I'm with others riding chatting but when I'm out on my own you know training on a mountain bike it, it provides the most wonderful moment to get into your head whilst you're looking, you know, for brambles and, uh, you know, obstacles on the path. Um, just that ability to, to be at one with yourself. And, and some of my best ideas come when I'm riding my bike on my own. You, I mean, you've lived such uh, a varied and exciting life. What life lessons have you got? If you were talking to maybe you were talking to your, to your younger self or maybe your son or your daughter, what are your life lessons? Well, there's, there's loads, isn't there? But um, I, I try and articulate the, the, my three pillars, which are discovery, teamwork and adventure. And discovery, I'm, what I mean by that is, is being curious, mostly. Mm -hmm. It's about um, experiencing new stuff, being brave enough to put yourself you know, in different places, go traveling, uh, learn other cultures, maybe even a language, um, but fundamentally be curious uh, about um, you and the world that you occupy. Uh, teamwork's about doing things with, with other, other people, and if you can pick, um, I try and pick uh, good people to go on expeditions with, adventures with, holidays with, 
obviously trying to pick good people to marry and uh, and so yes. forth. Um, that's a that's a benefit. But um, uh, I, I you know I'm, I you won't find me doing too many solo stuff. I like to collaborate. I like to work with people. I like to uh, join forces with with you know other people with different talents to to, to me. And and therein I think lies a, an, uh, that strength. And then adventure. I think we talked about it quite a lot already. Um, just having that mindset of being positive, uh, you know, looking to the future rather than the past, uh, glass half full rather than half empty, being positive, and then just uh, enjoying whatever it is that you do. It might be knitting, extreme knitting, uh, <laughs> but you know, find your passion and, and then pursue it adventurously, which uh, you know comes with taking a risk. It takes um, takes the ability to. Um, to, to plan and execute on, on something exciting. How has your 2020 been? You described it as a washout, and I think there's all the people that are looking at this year going, God, I just wish it was over. I can't believe when Halloween's coming up. We've only got a couple more months of the year. Yeah. Uh, is it was it a, a washout? It's been pretty bad, yeah. I won't, I won't lie. It's not been great. Um, the first week of lockdown, I was working on a, a Cunard cruise ship, actually, as a doing some speaking engagements. So um, it started off pretty, pretty, pretty good. I wish you'd stayed on that, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um, I was in the sort of Caribbean, um, going through the Panama Canal and uh, enjoying life quite a lot. And during the first week of lockdown, I was coming across the Atlantic, um, you know, sailed over the Titanic. So it, it, could, have been, it could, have, could have been worse from that point. But um, obviously with the, with the shutdown, it was, was difficult. My thing is experiential training and so uh, you know, a bit like yourself with, with a live interview here as opposed to virtual. Um, my business is all about teams and leadership and bringing people together um, to collaborate and, and to work more effectively together. And so it has been difficult, I won't lie. Um, but we've, we're finding ways around. Um, we, we've got a, a you know, COVID safe venue for small groups uh, doing business meetings and, and training programs. Um, you know, during the warmer months, we were outside as opposed to in, uh, which was great. And um, you know, we're doing all we can to mitigate what the restrictions are and work around them. I, I love that. I love the way you say that rather than, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing so many people use the word pivot, which I'm beginning to realize is one of my worst words in the English dictionary at <laughs> yeah. the moment. Um, and I don't really know why, but to me, it suggests that we're losing part of ourselves because of something that's put themselves in the way rather than doing what you're saying which is don't lose sight of who you are but just change accordingly or be flexible to the conditions mm. uh, and I think so many of, of us um, seem to be putting everything between behind a screen um, because that is the safe way and not going out of our houses and doing everything you know behind a computer um, and I'm not knocking technology, and technology is, is an amazing thing. Yeah. But I also think human connection is. Look, the, the human connection is really important. And, and yes, I, I admit that uh, I haven't pivoted my business. I've made adjustments, um, creating new, you know, new programs that uh, reflect the current situation. But I haven't, um, you know, I, being an experiential trainer, you can't, you know, deliver your service um, between computer screens. But, you know, you've... I've also seen some, some great examples of where this new way of working is, has been really beneficial. Mm. So, for example, I'm wearing um, one of my charity's um, shirts today, the Scientific Exploration Society. 
every year. It's basically a cha charity that's all about discovery, research, and conservation in, yes. in remote parts of the world, helping communities. Um, and we have a, a great program uh, encouraging young scientists to get yeah. out and do some great projects and work. Every year, we have um, an awards ceremony, an SES Explorer Awards, and we dish out £50,000 of grants, other people's money, uh, gifted to the, to, the, to the charity, which we then hand out to the best young talent doing these scientific projects. Wow, and the, the grants are given to, to these people so they can go on and have further education and do further yes. exploration. Yeah, so, exploration. so we had a young man on, um, on screen last night, was doing a, uh, hosting a webinar. It was a young 27-year-old scientist doing a PhD um, and it was all about um, rangers without borders. So, you know, protecting indirectly the snow leopard and um, in Kazakhstan and places like that mm. and, um, you know, providing funding to these amazing people, young scientists. But anyway, the point is, every year we have this award ceremony, dish out £50,000 to uh, 10 or so individuals, and um, we have about 500 people in the room. This year we had to do it virtually. We hosted a, an online webinar and it reached 10,000 people wow. or more. So there are pros to the current situation for, for different organisations and, and people. And you've just got to find uh, your place and ways in which to you know, exploit or take advantage as well as work around the difficulties of the current situation. Um, I, I love the, the, your charity, the Scientific Exploration Society. I think that that's one thing um, I think that has helped the planet, actually, because people have lessen their carbon footprint and all the rest of it and i think we have become more aware of our environment and nature and you know what we are doing to the planet um, and if anything i think this has sort of slowed it down and, and helped in, in that respect absolutely and it's a great human trait you know when disasters strike when you can concentrate on helping others you indirectly help yourself i think that's i think that's what i thought was phenomenal when we first went into this lockdown people were stepping up with acts of kindness. Everyone was sort of together in this. Mm. Um, I think what I've seen more, re what I think has happened more recently is there's more friction and um, divisions, unfortunately, that have started showing their, their ugly faces, um, and, and sadly. Particularly in America. Particularly in America, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, we all go through our difficult times uh, well, in, in history. I mean, particularly in America, but, um, you know, I, I'm from the north of England, Newcastle, and I've got to say, having, well, hey, Jody Ass. Ass, having heard some of the what, some of the people up north uh, and what they think about these restrictions, there is becoming a bit of a north-south divide again, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that isn't going to become too entrenched. Um, no, I hope not. So. Look, I, I think um, where we southerners love the northerners. In fact, I've got a, a holiday property in, in, in the north, near Newcastle. Have you? And uh, I love going there. It's brilliant. I, was I say, love the people. Holiday property in Newcastle. I know, <laughs> it's yeah. Old. Bizarre, isn't it? But there yeah, are. They're the coastlines. No, we, there's no, there's no such thing. And in fact, you know, we, we should all stick together globally as much as we can. You know, wouldn't it be a wonderful world if we didn't fight each other all the time and uh, kill each other? Absolutely, absolutely, Neil. Neil, what is next for you? That's what I want to know. I mean, you have done so many adventures. Um, have you got another one? The, the two big ones next year are, uh, are both very different, actually. One is uh, to the Amazon River 
two, three tributaries of the Amazon River in, in a remote part of Peru. And we're going to take some paddle boards and a jet board and have some fun, uh, you know, getting involved with the local indigenous um, communities in um, remote parts of the Amazon jungle and river. Uh, so that will be in uh, May next year. And then the, the big adventure challenge, which will be a, uh, probably a Guinness, well, it will be a Guinness World Record if, it, if we succeed. Oh, wait, is this an exclusive? Does anyone know? Nobody knows. Okay. This is great. an attempt to um, for the, the the highest bike ride. So I've identified um, a suitable mountain at seven thousand two hundred and fifty meters in the Himalayas, and with some friends, I'm going to attempt to cycle from summit back down to base camp, which will in, uh, involve the snow and ice, you know, studded tires, um, and uh, you know, probably like fairly literally... fairly fast ride down. The mountain, wow! And that'll be in um, September, October next year. And uh, so you're welcome to come on either of those. Well, well the Amazon sign slightly, maybe slightly <laughs> more my thing. Um, and then the inspiration program, we're taking some people to um, South Africa in uh, April and September. So plenty of opportunities to get involved with my world. Absolutely, um, I like the sounds of that. The inspirational, I, I think that's great. And if there's any links, we'll put those on the show notes as well. Where can people find out about you, Neil? Oh goodness, if you look hard enough, you, you'll find. I'm everywhere. Do, I, I Google you. It's very easy. <laughs> yeah, so that people can find me if they want to find me. You know, I'll leave it to them. But um, yeah, no, uh, obviously very happy to connect with anybody who. Um, there's struck struck a chord and wants to um, I can help in any way go from uh, uh, more of an ordinary life to an extraordinary life. Well, you certainly have led an extraordinary life, and I Thank unfortunately you. have come to my last question because I feel like I could I could ask more questions and find out more. I could talk for ages. My last question, Neil, is if you were to write a message in a bottle <laughs> for future generations to find, what would that message be? Oh wow! I don't, I'm not sure I'm, I'm uh, qualified to write a cogent message, but I would probably steal the words of a, um, a famous poet and Roman centurion by the name of Quintus Ennius, who apparently two thousand plus years ago uh, wrote on a tablet uh, these words, and I try and follow them, and I do encourage others to do the same. And they are: "Fortune favors the brave." I love it. Neil, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Pleasure, Sonia. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like, and you'll get it straight into your inbox.